As I was told some years ago, and, and I found by observation that what I was told is true, it is said that when a relationship starts to go bad, when a relationship starts to go sour, the very first casualty of the relationship is gratitude. That fundamental sense that life, the relationship itself, is a gift. That being loved, being connected is somehow unmerited, unearned, undeserved. In short, it's a gift of grace. And we start to forget that. We start to stop saying thank you. Stop saying I'm grateful. Stop recognizing the little things that we do for each other. Well, today my heart is filled with gratitude for the privilege of serving here, serving among you, gathering around this table, doing what we do, remembering what is of true and ultimate worth, remembering together what really matters in and for life, that we may live the days to come more bravely, more honestly, with greater integrity, with greater capacity to love, and with a greater capacity to allow ourselves to be loved. Gratitude is, is fundamental to relationship. I've enjoyed a most welcome sabbatical leave during which I've been doing some sustained writing, and more about that in another, at other times and in other places. But I've also, uh, along with Sage and our girls, visited a lot, an awful lot, of Episcopal churches. And when they returned here for the choir program, I went to an eight o'clock at the one near my house. And I've learned a number of things from those visits, including both that there are some good things happening in, in many parishes of our diocese. Uh, but more deeply, I found that I am really glad to be at All Saints. Really glad. There are some things we can bring home. We're one of the few parishes that have not taught ourselves the modern language of the Lord's Prayer, for example. But for the most part, I think it's enough to say that we are really lucky to be here. On a more personal level, I learned something about which I wasn't completely certain. I met a man, friend from the parish, uh, at one point. We were talking about a lunch group we're part of that long predates me. And he, he, talked, he was telling someone else in the conversation that how many people in that group, when it began, church was really important. Worship was really important every single week, worship. But as time's gone on, as their children have left home, as they've had more disposable income, as they've had other places to go at weekends, they've found worship, or at least worship here, to be less critical, less important. And I wondered, is that going to be me? Will I go to church when I'm retired? I've often suspected that, that being ordained has kept me Christian some of the time. And, and yet what I found, with all of these different liturgies, all that's going on, I've found that I really do value what we do. And I will go to church when I'm retired. I know I will. Because it's something uh, liberating happens when we do what we're supposed to be doing. Whatever the liturgy, whatever the, the reason. I, I wondered at some of these churches, why on earth are these people here? You know, good grief. It's not the preaching. But I assumed that, that like us, actually, those preaching makes sense over time in a community more than it does in a single event. And I assume that what brought those people was not how tight the liturgy was, it wasn't, uh, but how but, but community and relationship and friendship and gathering around the Lord's table and doing what we're doing. And there's some places that are totally lax. It's like nobody's prepared. And there's other places that are just creeping popery. And, um, and in that respect, I wanted to share something that really 
doesn't relate directly to the, to the sermon, but was kind of important, about Francis. Francis, Pope Francis, I, I gave an interview uh, with the Jesuit magazines and sounded, sounded very different than what we've been hearing from Rome. And I, I texted a, a friend of mine who's a priest in the archdiocese. We're at school together. And I said, hey, congratulations. I see you've elected Episco Episcopalian as your pope. <laughs> when can we celebrate? And he wrote back and said, ah, he'll be dead in a month. They'll say it was a heart attack. <laughs> Even good things sometimes come out of the temple. The temple. It's no accident that what we do around the table is called Eucharist. It means thanksgiving. It expresses our fundamental gratitude in and for life itself. In our reading from Luke today, it was the despised foreigner who got it. We all know about Samaritans being the despised outsiders but it was this one who turned back toward the source of his new life, turned back in order to give thanks. Ten were healed, but nine had other things on their mind. And perhaps they were hurrying to the temple. Perhaps they were hurrying to see the priests who made the rules, who would certify them as ready to re-enter the human community. Some of you may have read the book that got a lot of notoriety in recent months uh, because it's by a Muslim scholar of Jesus. Uh, Reza Aslan is a Muslim scholar. He's written a book called Zealot, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth. And incidentally, Sheffield Hale has him come to the History Center this week on Thursday evening. There are still some tickets for what should be a fascinating conversation. And one of the things he does is he makes a lot about what happens when Jesus mentions Samaritans, which he does fairly often. And he, he, he introduced me to something I hadn't really thought about. He, he says, when Jesus mentions a Samaritan, everyone will get that it's not just about an outsider or even a despised outsider. It's a fundamentally anti-temple statement because these people worshipped at a different temple. Everyone would get that the one being held up is someone who's not loyal to the temple. They're not, they're not allowing those in the temple to define who they are and when they can be human. He's not only talking about this despised minority, he's being explicitly anti-clerical. And he's undermining the power of the temple in Jerusalem. Why should the priests of Jerusalem be the ones to determine who is fit to be counted among the people of God? It was a Samaritan who turned back to the source of his good fortune and healing while the rest appear caught up, maybe developmentally necessarily, caught up in the rules and the oughts and the shoulds, but they gave power to those who claim the power to define them. Genuine gratitude, therefore, what we see in the story is that genuine gratitude is a radical act of freedom, a radical act of claiming ourselves to be the people we were created to be by God. It means participating in the promise of abundant life. The Samaritan was the one who exhibited faith. When he said, thank you, Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Faith and gratitude abound together. Faith is a way of looking at the world and seeing more light than darkness, more connection than separation, hope more than despair. Faith is not fatalism and faith is not wishful thinking. It's an attitude. It's an attitude of trust. It's an attitude of gratitude it's an attitude of knowing that whatever happens in life, that God is faithful and God is just. And it's part of what I remember, part of what is engendered in me each week. 
as I gather with you around the Lord's table. Gratitude is something we can practice, brothers and sisters, at least for a season, along with such practices as prayer and generosity and worship and candor. We can nurture this fundamental attitude in ourselves in all kinds of ways. Many of you say grace at meals. It's good. Perhaps it could come pro forma, change it up. Do something that marks just almost clinically a moment in the day of gratitude that your hearts may be grateful all the time. I have bedtime prayers with my children. Alexander, now 22, done it all their lives. I ask them to think of one good thing in the day and one person they want to pray for, and then we say a prayer. So even if the day's been dreadful, got the results of that test, or for me, had to go to yet another band concert, you know, whatever it was that, that was challenging, think of one thing, one thing that was good in the day, and start practicing being grateful, even if life is not going the way we want it to. It's just a practice. I hope that my children never underestimate the importance of a thank you note in spite of how easy it is for any of us to let such seemingly small things slip down our list of priorities. And I apologize to the two of you I own a thank you note to, and that's really slow, and I'll get to it. It's not particularly important for me to say thank you as a matter of manners, although it's good manners and that's important. It's more important as a matter of practicing that fundamental sense that life itself is a gift often ministered by others. Some of you are familiar with the writings of Anne Lamott, and how two of her favorite prayers in the morning, help me, help me, help me, and at bedtime, thank you, thank you, thank you. She's getting at the same development of an attitude of gratitude, one aspect of the whole of what happens in our worship, in our Eucharist, in our thanksgiving. When I focus for a season on gratitude as a habit, or an attitude or a practice, I find that all my relationships are a little more alive. And I'm a little more aware of the gifts that I'm receiving and some that I'm giving. And I'm a little less anxious. I'm a little more generous. And while life's challenges, while real, are more manageable, that I'm more comfortable in my own skin or more the person I'm created to be. And I believe that's true for you as well if you will nurture that attitude within yourself. So thanks be to you and to God for a wonderful leave. Thanks be to Noel and to Greg Gianelli who steered the ship. Thanks be to our clergy and vestry and staff. But above all, thanks be to God. Glory to God in the highest and peace to all of God's people on earth. In our customary time of silence, I invite you to allow yourself to let the gifts and graces of your life to come to your mind and to give thanks. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.